0: So, Tom, what got me interested in engineering was, in high school, I took a a drafting class where we had to go home and measure, actually, our home. That's Tom Battles. He's the engineering practice leader here
1: at HRP. We'll hear more about what that title means in just a second.
0: Uh, The door frames, the windows, the size of the the structure itself. And in class, we actually drew our homes to, to a scale. Both in plan view and elevation view. So that's what got me interested in engineering, and/or architecture. Uh, engineering it does a lot of drawing to scale, uh, and that's why you know it, it kind of got my interest, and that's why I pursued engineering uh, uh, journey, uh, I guess I'll call it. Well, I actually uh, got a, received an award for uh, for my drawings since ah. it was really actually that good, which I was mm-hmm. kind of surprised at.
1: Mm. So what happened uh, after that point, kind of from high school through there? What was your next step on that journey? That's me, Tom Simmons, a host of this podcast.
0: From graduating high school, I decided to go into civil engineering because it's more of a hands-on construction, building, designing profession uh, versus some of the other uh, disciplines like mechanical, electrical, or a little more, uh, little more abstract, I guess you'd mm. call it.
1: Yeah, when you... The work gives you something really concrete, too.
0: Yeah, you can actually yeah. touch and feel this. Mm-hmm.
1: It's Engineering Week, so Tom and I are talking about his journey as an engineer and what
0: brought him to HRP and a little bit about the engineering practice. Back in the day, uh Mianus River bridge collapsed, uh, Hartford C- Civic Center roof collapsed. Uh, this is when I was in school and just out of school, so my interest was really in more of the structural arena, and I took more structural uh, civil engineering courses. So my first uh, big uh, task out of school was working with uh, Connecticut DOT's emergency bridge program where we had 60 bridges under contract, and we were out inspecting these things on man lifts and bucket trucks, and uh, from there we, we uh, eventually Created design repairs or design replacements of these structures. So it was very interesting to be a young uh, kid out of uh, out of college doing really hands on engineering work.
1: Mm. What was that work like when you were out there?
0: It was fun. You know, yeah. you're a young kid. You're outside. You're, you're getting paid for the first time in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, learning a lot. Uh, was on a lot of different bridge structures. Uh, from highway structures to uh, bridges over streams to trusses, uh, so all all types of uh, of structures I was uh, introduced to.
1: Mm-hmm. So you had a lot of engineering uh, experience before you came to HRP.
0: Yes, uh, quite a bit of experience. Uh, like I said, I, I started out in the uh, bridge structural arena, uh, migrated into the civil site development. Arena, which is more of uh, developing sites, uh, whether they're commercial sites or uh, residential subdivision sites. So it's, it's the grading, it's the road design, it's the uh, stormwater system designs, uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, I actually went on to a utility company, a telephone communications company, where we were a statewide construction uh, underground. Conduit Infrastructure Group. So we would build conduit systems in cities like Hartford, New Haven, Bridgeport, and also ran conduit in towns like Thomaston and Goshen, wherever underground systems needed to be placed. And most of it was for uh, fiber optic uh, services, so it was uh, good protection to have fiber in the ground instead of up up on a pole line. Mm
1: -hmm. And what brought you to HRP?
0: Uh, previous firm I worked for was was a was a civil environmental firm uh, similar to HRP. Um, I was uh, asked by one of the uh, owners of HRP at the time to come over and interview for a for a kind of a lead uh, position, which would be a promotion on on my end. So I came over with, uh, you know, with the with the idea that you know if it doesn't work out, that's fine. No no pressure. Uh, you know, let's let's uh, see if we can work something out, and if we can't, that's that's fine. So, decided to take the position here uh, as the as kind of the chief civil engineer at the time.
1: Yeah, and what is your position now?
0: Right now, I'm the engineering practice leader for all of HRP. Uh, so, my my goal is to basically um, provide uh, the tools for the engineering groups to perform their work. Uh, Those are uh, SOPs, uh, which are standing operating procedures, uh, some of the software that's needed for our work like AutoCAD, some hydraulic models, cost estimating tools, uh, budget estimating tools, uh, specifications, contracts, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, most importantly uh, QA, QC on on the work that I have uh, expertise in.
1: Mm So within the engineering practice, what are some of the areas or services where HRP operates?
0: Well, we operate in a a bunch of different uh, areas of expertise. Um, Myself, I'm uh, more traditional civil engineering uh, with a structural flair to it. Uh, Environmental engineering is a big component of our company. So we've got uh, experts like Glenn, who's uh, working in our New York office right now. He's kind of the go-to environmental a professional. Uh, Laurel Picard is our uh, wastewater professional, so we get into the wastewater industrial uh, permitting arena. And then we have Alice Entropolis, who uh, does uh, our air permitting work for uh, mostly New York. Um, yeah, I think under the engineering practices, my role is to support all the offices. So regional managers often call and ask about particular projects. Is this something we can do? Do we have the capabilities? If we don't have the capabilities, how can we get this done? A lot of times it's hiring uh, a sub-consultant or a local expert. So we, we try to figure out as, as, a, as a team uh, how, to, how to potentially uh, you know, secure a project. And if it's something that we can't do, we can't. But we usually try our best to pull together you know a team that can, uh, that can provide client uh, service.
1: So who's on that team? Well, for Engineering Week 2022, we're going to chat with a few of the folks Tom mentioned. Let's hear from them right now. Allison, welcome back to the 312 Podcast. It's been a while since you were last on.
2: Yeah, I'm glad to be back.
1: And it's always a pleasure to have you back here. So we have you here for Engineering Week. And can you give us, just for maybe the folks out there who aren't familiar with you, your full name and title?
2: My name is Allison Teropoulos. I'm a project manager here at HRP.
1: And what was kind of your journey to becoming an engineer?
2: Yeah, so I've always been in, uh, interested in the environment. Ever since I was a young kid in the seventh grade, I was the president of the Environmental Club. And so then I was interested in science, and my dad's an engineer, so he suggested I pursue Um, chemical engineering. uh, I did end up in environmental in the end, but um, same thing. (laughs) Ended up in the same place anyway.
1: So when you were growing up, what were some of the things that uh, kind of interested you in engineering as opposed to some of the other sciences?
2: Um, I've always considered myself a practical person. So um, I like the aspect of Getting something done, achieving Mm. something, building something, um, whereas, you know, some of the more theoretical sciences, you don't have that end result of a product.
1: What brought you to HRP?
2: A long journey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I started at the state of Connecticut. Well, actually, I started I did do a small stint at a different uh, consulting firm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up at the state of Connecticut for 13 years. Um, and then I just really was looking for a change, wanted some opportunities. So um, I applied at HRP and then the rest was history.
1: <laughs> and uh, working at HRP, what are your specialties? What's the kind of area that you are focusing on for your work here?
2: Um, So I manage the compliance engineering group at HRP. And so I um, manage both the New York and Connecticut office compliance engineering. And we handle a lot of different things. We handle um, air, wastewater, uh, stormwater, tanks, uh, PSM, RMP. So, you know, we encompass it all. But um, my personal specialty where I'm the strongest is air compliance. Permitting, um, reporting, record keeping, basically anything um, in the air arena. Mm -hmm.
1: And who falls under that in terms of like clientele or prospective clients?
2: So we have a lot of manufacturing clients. So, anyone, you know, with a boiler or generator or a process where you're making stuff involving chemicals, um, you know, often you end up with an air permit. We have some institutional clients, hospitals, prisons, um, but for the most part, I'd say manufacturing.
1: So, what does the the day to day look like for the air work?
2: So, um, a lot of the air work is math. You have to do calculations. You have to understand um, where pollutants will um, end up in the environment. So, if you like, if you had a process, um, sometimes we use modeling to predict um, where the pollutants will impact to the ground and affect people, uh, you know, in the surrounding area. So, you know, we do some modeling, we do calculations, we do uh, air permit applications, we might do stack testing for clients. So if you have a permit, you're required to measure the amount of pollutants that come out of your process or stack and, um, Demonstrate that they're below your permit limits. So we help facilitate clients with that. Um, we might um, go to a site, assess processes, give recommendations for where improvements could happen. You know where where you could potentially reduce your pollutants so that you can increase your production um, and still remain under your permit limit. Um, so you know. We try and work with clients to get the results that they, they want to achieve mm. and um, give them ideas and, and help them out.
1: How much of the data that you use uh, is gathered by the staff at HRP and how much is from other sources?
2: Um, typically, the data that we use um, is would be like fuel and material records. So that's typically provided by the client um, from their purchase records. Mm. So their purchasing department.
1: Uh, when you do do site visits, what does that typically consist of?
2: So we'll we'll visit a client, um, talk with them, understand what they want, what they're trying to achieve. Uh, then we'll typically go on a tour of their facility, understand the process thoroughly. Usually we'll gather some data, like I said, those fuel material records, and then... Um, Bring that back to HRP, do calculations, understand the regulatory implications of what they're trying to achieve Mm -hmm. and provide some recommendations to the client, usually through a phone call or a Teams meeting nowadays, (laughs) um, where... You know, we discuss, you know, this is, you know, you you have some options. This is what we're thinking. Which one do you want to go with? We usually try to provide some options. Once the client decides what they want to do, then we'll come back, prepare the permit application or, you know, whatever it is they're trying to achieve. Mm
1: -hmm. Now, how often is this something where clients come to us because they know they need our services? And how much of it is us having to let the client know that these are services that need to be conducted for them?
2: Often clients have an inkling that what they're doing might affect their air permit Mm -hmm. or, you know, needing an air permit. Um, other times HRP might be out for a different reason and they might see, you know, another HRP staff member might see something and say, this looks weird and come back and ask me like, do you think this needs an air permit? And then, um, you know, we can contact the client together and say, you know, when so and so was out there, they saw this. Uh, what's going on with that? Um, uh, you know, and I talk to the to the staff around here that does the the plant visits, and I say, you know, look for these things. If you see these things, uh, let me know because the best way to help a client is to. Catch it before they get in trouble for it. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. And what are some of those things that you tell the staff to look for?
2: So if they see anything poking out of the roof, yeah. uh, <laughs> that's that's the number one sign that there's something going out into the air. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see if if you see a roof penetration, um, ask them what it you know ask them what it is and where what it's leading to, and then um, mm-hmm. you know we can we can go from there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> When you talk about understanding the procedure that goes on in the facility, is that uh, just the procedure related to air, or is that kind of encompassing their whole processes?
2: Usually their whole process. You know, the production start to finish. Mm -hmm. Really understanding what they're trying to achieve, what they produce, what they're trying to produce, and then where they want to end up, Mm. you know. Are they trying to expand? Are they trying to increase production? Are they trying to put in a new emission unit? Mm. Understanding where they're at and where they're going is really important.
1: Yeah. So when you're at these facilities, you kind of have to understand the entire, what maybe manufacturing process for whatever it is they're putting together.
2: Correct. Okay. Yeah, because they could be using chemicals you know, mm-hmm. throughout depending on what they're making, what yep. they're manufacturing.
1: So have there been any manufacturing facilities or plants where you've gone to learn how something was made and it kind of surprised you or interested you or made you go, oh, wow, I never knew that?
2: Yeah, basically everyone I go to. Oh, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like every site visit is a how it's made.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's got to be cool, right?
2: Yeah, Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, And that's, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of why I went into engineering, right? Because learning processes learning what makes things tick what make you know and then it's fun to spot your clients out in the uh yeah out into in the world Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) can you tell us about any of those without kind of maybe without giving away who the who the client is
2: oh um sure yeah i mean like we we have a client that we we have a client that uh makes cans so mm-hmm. um, exciting
1: different. right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so anytime you see their little symbol on your on your can,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know, hey, I work for them. Or um not so much with my prison clients. I don't see that.
1: <laughs> not, not as much fun <laughs> on that one.
2: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully I won't end up there. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> um manufacturers, you see them out. Um, you know, we have some a lot of food clients that are manufacturing um mm-hmm. food products, so you see that in the grocery store every week when mm-hmm. you're going there, and you know hi I saw those being made. <laughs>
1: <laughs> any parts of those processes that you would have like never guessed that that was a component of that kind of manufacturing or production
2: not so much not understanding, but I guess seeing things like you know when you see, for instance like uh a production bakery. And you see, you know, cookies being made on, like, a humongous scale mm. where you have a vat that's, like, 30 by 30 of cookie dough. <laughs> 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 that's, it's pretty impressive, anyway.
1: Mm, yeah. Smells good, cool. too. Oh, <laughs> uh, my God. I can only imagine. <laughs> well, Allison, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks Uh, for having me. Yeah, once we're off air, you're going to have to let me know where that giant cookie dough vat is. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Coming from our New York office is Glenn. We had Glenn phone in, so it's a little hard to hear. Quality's not the best, but still it's some fascinating perspective on innovative technologies and engineering. Uh, Hey, Glenn, welcome to the uh, 312 Podcast. I guess this is actually the first time we're meeting.
3: Yes, it
1: is. How long have you been with uh, the company now?
3: Almost two months.
1: Okay, and what is your uh, what's your title, or your position here at HRP?
3: My title is Senior Project Manager.
1: Tell me a little bit about the journey that brought you into the engineering field.
3: In high school, I had an aptitude for math and science. My dad was kind of a mechanical engineer of sorts. My siblings were getting into various medical and stuff, and I wasn't really into medical, so I, so I thought engineering would be the, you know, place to go with my uh, aptitude for math and
1: science. That's interesting. I talked to Allison this morning. She was mentioning that uh, her, her dad was an engineer, and that would kind of inspired her to go in that direction as well because she had, from an early age, an interest in the sciences. And that's kind of the similar story with you? Yeah,
3: he did definitely did encourage me to
1: become an engineer. And uh, what what appealed to you about engineering as opposed to maybe some of the other sciences or other tracks along that kind of uh, math-based um,
3: Field. I think it's always not to sound too cliche, but I always always wanted to know how things worked. I know, I, you know, civil engineering was I was interested in that. Um, doing some of the various jobs, part time jobs, I was doing in high school and after high school, uh, you know, in the construction industry. I just started feeling, you know, I just wanted to uh, to design things and to uh, see things built that I designed instead of just building things uh, mm. as a construction industry.
1: Mm, interesting, interesting. Uh, so, how did you get to HRP?
3: Yeah, I heard, through, I heard about HRP through a colleague, and I decided to, uh, wanted to go to a smaller firm, share my knowledge that I've gathered over the years of engineering, and just kind of help HRP uh, grow and become, um, that just, you know, help with the success of the company. Mm.
1: And where were you uh, before HRP?
3: I was uh, with uh, Tetra Tech, big firm. Sixteen thousand people. Just wanted to get back into a, a smaller company.
1: And how has the uh, the transition been there? It's been
3: great. Everyone here is very very friendly. It's it's been, um, been very good.
1: So within engineering, uh, what's the area where your specialty lies in? Uh, what's kind of the work that you are focused on at HRP?
3: You know, I have my bachelor's in civil engineering, and um, you know just branched out into the environmental field. My specialty, I think. Over the years as, my, as a mediation engineer and uh, in situ mediation technologies, implementing um, innovative technologies to address soil and groundwater contamination at sites, that the science behind innovative technologies and applying them in the field and uh, having success uh, with remediating sites.
1: And can you unpack that term for me, uh, innovative technologies? Maybe give me like a layman's understanding of what we're talking about with those.
3: It's not traditional, uh, say, a pump and treat or an air sparging or soil vapor extraction system. It's more innovative where you're adding something into the groundwater, say, some particular material that's innovative, that's not common, something that, uh, not you know, not not very... I have a lot of experience at, and it's something that's innovative to try to uh, you know, tackle some of these difficult sites.
1: Are there any recent examples you could share with us? It's not
3: that innovative, but innovative is adding uh, some type of a carbohydrate, something like a molasses and um, mixing it with other things to inject to try to do it smarter and faster.
1: So injecting molasses into the ground?
3: Yes, exactly. That's one of the, how, the technology.
1: How much molasses are we talking about? <laughs>
3: It depends on the site, but basically, what you're trying to achieve is that carbohydrates, is, is, is a food, mm-hmm. something to provide the bacteria. You're trying to get to degrade or, you know, basically break down the contaminants of concern. In this case, fall to organic compounds. And mm-hmm. so it all depends on how much is, you know, how much contamination, the size you're trying to treat. But um, you can, you'd be, you can be adding several. 100 gallons of molasses. (laughs) That's
1: crazy. And so how does the bacteria um, result in those, let's say volatile organic compounds or other contaminants being
3: uh, cleaned
1: or remediated?
3: The anaerobic bacteria looking for the carbohydrates, the food source. And as they break down, they create these enzymes and the enzymes and uh, basically it creates this anaerobic environment for the, volatile organic compounds to degrade to um, innocuous compounds like ethane and ethane, the last um, breakdown products of some of these uh, chlorinated solvents.
1: And are those bacteria um, in any way harmful or concerned to the environment and have to be dealt with afterwards, or is it just uh, they take care of it and then you, I guess, cut off the, the molasses supply and you don't have to worry about it anymore? That's correct. Ah,
3: okay. They're basically down there, uh, um, naturally, basically naturally occurring in the groundwater. Oh, so the that bacteria is already there. You don't even have to bring that in. You just sometimes you might have to augment it. They call bioaugmentation. But mm-hmm. um, generally, if you see the the subsurface anaerobic environment, there's good signs that that those bacteria are already there.
1: So I guess to to close out here, uh, what do you find most interesting about the the work that you do?
3: I think it's the Problem solving, you know, you get a site and you try to come up with a solution to try to address the remediation in cost effective way for the client, you know, not necessarily a faster way. But, you know, you, I think it's just the uniqueness of each site is different I and mean, trying to solve the problem and try to um, come up with a solution that you think will work. Uh, that's usually the what I find more interesting on a day to day basis.
1: Well, excellent. Glenn, thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. So far on the journey through Engineering Week, we've gone from cookie dough vats to gowns of molasses. What awaits us as we turn now to Laurel Picard? So uh, in case anyone who's listening has not heard the other podcasts you've been a guest on or seen the videos you've been in, can you tell us your name and title, position here at HRP, and maybe how long you've been uh, working with the company?
4: Of course. My name is Laurel Pickard. I'm a senior project engineer here in the uh, Farmington office, and I've been working for HRP for almost three years.
1: So what was your journey like to becoming an engineer, not specifically at HRP, but kind of what brought you into the discipline?
4: Um, Probably unsurprisingly, I was, like many nerdy kids, I liked math, I liked science, I took an environmental science class freshman year of high school where we did the sampling streams and looking at the insects and that kind of thing. And I loved it. And I kept doing more science, uh, more math. I had folks saying, oh, be a teacher. The idea of staying in school longer was Mm. horrible. (laughs) Again, nerdy. Uh, So I went towards civil engineering and um, I loved it.
1: What were some of the things in once you were inside of civil engineering that like stood out to you as interesting or that kind of drove you to keep pursuing it?
4: I really liked the idea that I could use my talents to help the environment, help people, um, and it's an interesting balance between protecting the environment and still helping industry function. We still need things. We still need to make things. Mm -hmm. So this was an opportunity to kind of find a balance there. Mm
1: -hmm. And uh, what brought you to HRP?
4: I'd been working at a smaller firm, which was great. I got a lot of different opportunities, but we weren't able to handle the ebbs and flow very well. And we were in a little bit of a downturn. So I was looking for other positions. And I actually happened to know uh, one of the engineers here. She had great things to say about the culture, about uh, the type of work, and so I applied. Um, And I wanted to stick with a small to mid-sized firm. There are so many giant corporation engineering firms out there where your employee number 67832, um, which is the opposite of HRP. Mm.
1: And in your time here, you've uh, tackled a lot of different things.
4: I have. It's really great that I get to do some hard engineering, some permitting, some totally off-the-wall things that I never expected.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, So in your duties here, what would you say is kind of the specialty that you work in or the area that you primarily uh, are tasked with?
4: So I have um, one foot in the engineering team, one foot in the environmental health and safety department. I do a lot of wastewater compliance and permitting, but I'm also getting to do things like the Inland Wetland Program for uh, one of our larger clients doing. So a lot of what I do is industrial wastewater, which doesn't sound very exciting, but I get to see all different manufacturing plants and, again, help them with staying in compliance, getting compliance, being able to do their jobs uh, without hiccups to process and manufacturing I'm also get to do work with things like the uh, inland wetland and tidal wetland programs for some construction sites, which is very exciting. Seeing things built, making sure, again, that there's minimal impact to the environment in that process is really cool.
1: I was talking to Allison earlier, and she was saying that as part of the air work that she does, that she has to know pretty much the whole process that a manufacturer or facility goes through in order to do Uh, The work that is done there. Is it a similar situation with wastewater?
4: Very much. You have to know what's coming into the plant, how it's being changed, where it's coming in contact with the wastewater, and what's leaving. And um, it can vary. A lot of manufacturers don't just make one product all day, every day. They may be switching it up day to day, even, and that can impact. Oh, we have this much tin and this much iron today. Let's treat that, but next week it might be a totally different balance and need a different ratio, and that's where a lot of places get into trouble. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, do those facilities or manufacturers provide all of that information to us as the consultant?
4: Um, that really depends. Mm. Sometimes they're not even aware of what's going on because this is the way they've always done it, Yeah, and it's just this hiccup that's come up. Uh, we have a great client that things were going great for them until they took on a new project and it didn't even make sense initially where they were having problems. It was really due to uh, the size of the product, not the chemistry of the product that was causing their wastewater to be out of compliance. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And how easy f- is it for a manufacturer facility to fall out of compliance? Is that a common thing that we see?
4: Um, I, we try not to, uh, for certainly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is obviously yeah. before they hired us. Yeah.
4: Um, so it really depends on how everybody's operating. Mm-hmm. We've got some folks who are very tight and strict and just something strange has come up. And then f- other folks are more loosey-goosey and maybe they've gotten some notices of uh, being out of compliance. Maybe they've gotten themselves in a little hot water and then were brought in. Um, Either way, you know. Our job is to help.
1: So in terms of those facilities or manufacturers where you've had to kind of get to know the whole process, the ins and outs, part of, you know, the wastewater, environmental engineering that you do, are there any that you were really uh, surprised by or to learn like how something was done or how something was made?
4: I was. uh, We have a facility that they've actually been on TV. Mm -hmm. Um, They make hypodermic needles Mm. and it's it's a relatively small shop. But seeing these rows of needles kind of in these big boxes, and I would be terrified that I would be getting poked daily. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's just kind of blasé about it. They Uh all... No one seemed to have all the bandages on their fingers.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe it's one of those like nail bed situations where you can just kind of walk across the top. It might be. Uh, I wouldn't try it though. (laughs) No. No,
4: Not recommended. The four foot long needles were also a little terrifying. Four foot long needles? Yeah. It's something for... um, Horses? No. Like um, when they do the laparoscopic. What is that? Then they don't cut you open for surgery. Oh, so they have like, they send a needle in there? Apparently, I, I'm not a surgeon. Don't not medical advice. Okay, yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is engineering way. This is not yep. laparoscopic surgery.
4: No, no, no. I didn't I took one biology class. Not an expert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, what do you find most interesting, or maybe most rewarding, about the work that you do here as an engineer at HRP?
4: I think the most interesting and rewarding is like. I can call a client up a few months after we've wrapped something up and everything is going great. They're relaxed and not stressed out. And they're telling me about a new product coming online or a new facility that's opening up. They're growing. And it doesn't seem like wastewater is that important, mm-hmm. but it's critical. They might be having to haul and that's very expensive. Stuff like that. Mm, okay.
1: Well, that's great. Laurel, thank you so much for joining us today.
4: Thank you, Tom.
1: All right. So some people might not be too clear on what HRP does in terms of engineering because we're not architects, We're not a construction firm. We have a kind of a support role, and we're a bit of a smaller company, but that doesn't mean that we don't work on large or important projects. And maybe you can speak to some of those, Tom.
0: Yeah, really. The engineering practice is as uh, a support mechanism for a lot of very large contracts that that HRP has and currently uh, currently carries. Uh, in, in New York, for, for instance, uh, DEC and OGS, uh, we have s- uh, several very large contracts with uh, very large uh, financial projects. And what, what we do is we help support the environmental folks with uh, the details of scaled plans, uh, s- uh, specifications, uh, working with contracts, working with bidding assistance, so so we're kind of a support check for uh, a lot of uh, the bigger projects here in Connecticut. Uh, Connecticut Department of Transportation. We have an environmental on call. We we do uh, what's called the Task Three Tens, which is basically a a plan and specification package for handling soil and groundwater on DOT construction sites. Um, we have some large utility carriers in-state that um, have uh, several very large infrastructure upgrade projects that we're supporting uh, on the permitting side. And these are several hundred million dollar projects, so they're they're fast-paced. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of people involved. And um, we we're just part of the team. Yeah, I think the other project I'd like to bring up is we had a very large uh, Superfund site out in st louis that we supported our st louis office for several years uh several million dollars worth of cleanup uh, a major uh, major feather in our cap one of the biggest projects i think hrp is is handled as basically the prime contractor where we handled all the engineering all the permitting hired the contractors uh and got paid to do all that so it was very uh, successful project on all fronts Mm -hmm.
1: So what do you find particularly inspirational or meaningful about engineering work, or maybe even specifically the engineering work that we do at HRP?
0: You know, Tom, I, I look at it as it's it's kind of a team concept. Um, I played basketball in high school, and, you know, teams are very important. Uh, trusting your coworkers on, on projects. Socially, we often go out and celebrate. Like this past week we went axe-throwing, the engineering team did. Basically, to celebrate the fact that we secured a very large uh, local contract, so it was, it was kind of exciting. We all had fun, had a couple of drinks, and had some had some good food and enjoyed our our night out. Uh, it's nice to see something go from design and actually be constructed in the field. It's very very gratifying.
1: Thanks to Tom, Allison, and Glenn for joining me on the work hard section of the podcast. We're moving over to the play hard section, where I'll be joined by Allison once again. Fan favorite, all the way from Houston, Texas, Everett Anderson. For those of us on the uh, audio podcast portion, we are now officially, officially in the play hard section, which is a video portion now. So, if you want to see us. And not just hear us. Head over to our YouTube channel and check us out. Make sure to subscribe while you're there if you're not already. Since it's Engineering Week, can you t- uh, tell us, especially Ever and I, who are lay people and in my uh, case, kind of dumb, <laughs> what what is engineering?
2: What is and en- I thought this was the fun portion. <laughs> <laughs> There's no engineering allowed in the fun portion. Engineering could be in a lot of things. Yeah. There's lots of different kinds of engineers. Um, you can do, does you know, design. You can do compliance, mm-hmm. like I do. There's a lot of different things that could lead you to a career in engineering.
1: Yeah. yeah. So uh, now that we've gotten that out of the way, um, what have you been watching
2: lately? What have I been watching lately? Mm -hmm. Oh, my husband and I just started this funny show on um, Netflix. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: What's it called? Jeez, has Will Arnett in it? Oh, Murderville! Murderville, yeah, (laughs) yeah. That was it's funny. Like we started the first couple of episodes. Had Conan O'Brien. They do like Conan O'Brien. Yeah, it's like they do like oh, yeah. um improv almost. So they plot a murder and then the like the guest star has to decide. It's almost like a murder mystery mm-hmm. like those boat rides you can go on. Oh, okay. And so yeah, then yeah. they have to mm-hmm. pretend they're a cop and they figure out who did the murder. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
5: but they're the only one that doesn't get the script. So they right. basically have to have to figure it out. On their way throughout the whole episode.
1: Interesting. And, and each episode, cool. each
5: episode is a new celebrity mm-hmm. guest. So some are funnier than others. The first one I didn't think was that funny. There was one funny part with Conan, but the rest were was kind of fine.
2: Yeah, I think Will Arnett's really funny.
5: But he, yeah, he was in like the like Jason Sudeikis. Uh, Andy Samberg, like, that, those years.
2: Because mm. they're a little uh. younger than me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he definitely
2: is. I think we're probably
1: around the same age, right?
2: I think we talked about this before, and oh, yeah. we're not. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I pretend to be younger than I am. Mm. It's working. <laughs>
1: it's very convincing.
2: I, uh... I convinced my kids that I was 29 for a really long time. <laughs> and then the one of them came home and said, my teacher's the same age as you. <laughs> I said, oh, how old are they? 29. I said, don't tell your teacher that I'm 29 because he's like 11. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> Ever, what have you been watching?
5: Um, What have I been watching? Uh. I just finished a show on HBO Max called Peacemaker. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, with John Cena.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Very enjoyable show. Uh, very well done and has made me not hate John Cena as much as I used to hate John Cena. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else did I watch recently? I feel like I really haven't watched that much TV of, as of late.
1: I've been cutting I've been back on a lot too.
5: I've been kind of just like rewatching old stuff. Cause I don't really want to get invested in anything right now. Like I feel like I'd rather just like at the end of the day, like I just want to put something on and like scroll through my phone and not really pay attention to what's on the TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been a lot of office reruns <laughs> and stuff I've seen, but yeah, that's really it. I mean,
2: the office is my go-to background noise too. Yeah,
5: a hundred percent. I I might have. I think I've watched it all the way through about like three hundred and forty times. <laughs> like it's just like on a constant loop. Yeah, I feel like there's really not much. Yeah, I don't know if it's just like a like a downtime for for shows right now.
2: I think it is. Like it's, it's like, like, like the um... summer.
5: Like everything kind of hit pretty hard where people are. You know watching like the the big time shows and the blockbuster movies and all that stuff. And I feel like that's kinda that kinda went into, you know, Christmas time and stuff like that. But since then I feel like everything's kinda coming back. I guess maybe in the spring stuff will start to pick up a bit.
1: It's coming back. Anything you're looking forward to?
5: Movie wise or show wise?
1: Oh yeah, all the above.
5: <laughs> um well, I'm very excited to see the Batman movie in March. Yeah, I bought my tickets for that.
1: I'll, so. I'll, how about you, Allison? How excited are you for the
2: Batman movie? I'm of mid-level excitement. <laughs> <laughs> I will probably watch it. <laughs> I haven't bought my tickets yet.
1: I'll yeah, probably w- watch it. I don't think I'm going to go to a theater to watch it though. Mm-hmm. I, think you- come, I think it's
5: supposed to. I think it's going to come out on HBO like 45 days after it's out. 45. Yeah, which is pretty good.
1: Usually it's like, I guess
2: it can't be like next day. I don't know. Yeah, some of them they are... stopped doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess probably because no one was going to theaters anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I just thought no one was going because of COVID, not because of the street. I don't know. I feel like they took the wrong lesson from that.
5: Well, I think like yeah. they, I think they, they were the, they, they were the first ones to really like go into it and be like, Hey, we're going to do, you know, we're just going to go all into our new streaming service because they like had just released it too. I'm pretty sure. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like a way to get people over to them first mm-hmm. and then Disney did it. And then um they got, I feel like they got so much, so much crap for that though. Like a lot of people were just like, even like the people that were in the movies and the directors and stuff like that were, were kind of pissed off about that.
2: I think they probably make less money. Like the actors, If people are just streaming it, then if you get theater ticket sales.
5: Yeah, I wonder how that works because, you know, for so long, like, all these big giant movies that make, you know, a billion dollars. And it's like that that didn't happen for like two years. Like, I feel like the best movie would make like $200 million or something. And that'd be like amazing for a COVID film. Right. Mm. But,
2: well, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like if you rent a or buy a movie on like a streaming service, it's like twenty bucks. But if you bring your whole family to the movie theater, you're spending like fifty bucks.
5: Yeah, it's definitely a weird. It's a weird thing because, like, like all like the Disney movies and stuff that like go onto their streaming service like pretty soon after they're out of, out of the theaters. Like, then who who's gonna buy? like a disc or who's going to buy like the Blu-ray or the, well, like the digital version or like who wants to own it then if it's all going to be there anyway, if you're already paying for it, yeah. you know,
2: I, I feel mean, like they must, you're a collector.
5: they must be like, I guess. Yeah. I feel like there must be some sort of like cannibalization on their own sales there for, for DVD and whatnot. But
1: and I feel like they're putting out so few movies these days that you would ever want to see more than once. So like, why would you, buy it at all
5: yeah that's true that's true too there's not like those like generational movies that you would you know watch again and again
2: you guys don't have children <laughs> 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 we watch the disney movies over and over and over again
1: is it yeah. uh, all of them or do you just get like the one that's watched four or five times a day
2: well, now my kids are like older. Uh-huh. Um, when they were younger, like when Moana first came out, we watched Moana oh, like 10 times yeah. a week. <laughs> <But> like, Moana and
5: <laughs> Frozen, I feel like we're just like a constant repeat. And yeah. and uh,
2: When my oldest was young, we watched the Lego movie over and over and over again. And then mm. when my youngest, it was Moana. I feel like everyone probably with children probably has that one movie that they watched a mm-hmm. million times.
1: Did you have one when you were a kid?
2: I watched The Little Mermaid, like, a million times when Mm -hmm. I was young.
1: Uh (laughs) Ever, what about you?
5: Uh, Well, Star Wars, obviously. Original trilogy. Mm -hmm. I watched that a lot. Um,
1: That's, like, every day after school?
5: Well, so, I'm trying to think, like, like, VHS. Like, what would we watch a lot? I mean, yeah, I mean, we would go to like we had a movie store down the street from us and i would go and i would spend like hours trying to figure out what i was going to get and i kept getting the same thing and my dad was like i'm going to kill you <laughs> he's <laughs> like we go every single time you spend an hour looking for a movie and you pick the same <laughs> <movie>. <laughs> like it was like star wars um the uh mighty morphin power rangers movie yeah um, trying to think if there's anything else. That, I, honestly, it might have been just like, like the three original trilogy movies and Power Rangers, just on repeat.
1: Definitely mm. Jurassic Park for me. Mm. I think we've talked about this. You and I, and probably Joe, have talked about this before. The repeat <laughs> movies.
5: Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, a whole or VHS like, what, based like just conversation. Something- yeah, just yeah. something that we, I think it was like the, like one of the first playhards we did. We Might have been the first
1: it. one. where We were just recording in Joe's office on one mic. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you had to get that close to Joe. He <laughs> wouldn't, he get off. I can never get him to sit close enough to the mic.
5: <laughs> yeah, that's when we had talked about like old technologies that are, that are like hilarious now.
1: Is that what it was? Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly what the, what the conversation
5: you had, was. Because you had talked about VHS, and you thought that I didn't even know what a VHS was yeah, because yeah. you thought I was that young, <laughs> which uh-huh. is not true.
2: Like, when did VHS go away? Boy, I feel
1: like as late as... Um... Early 2000s. So <laughs>
5: That's I what I was going to say, yeah. 2003, like, 2004,
1: maybe. I remember seeing... Um... I'm talking, so I'm going to spin this around to me. <laughs> I remember seeing VHS tapes for sale as late as like maybe 2017. In like a, it was like a little general store up in Norfolk. Whatever, mm. Tiny little town in northwest rural Connecticut. Mm. For whatever reason, in this little general store, which is gone now. They were selling VHS blank VHS tapes, among other things. Blank ones. Blank VHS <laughs> I, <gonna> say, I, <laughs> think,
5: I think that proves it all is that they don't exist anymore. That's why they were selling it.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that, there's still people think, who needed to tape the game or whatever, or their soaps, yeah. and needed the VHS oh, tapes.
5: <laughs> I was gonna say, I think that's like, well, that whole area, I feel like, it, it's behind a few, a few years, if not decades. So at least, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I was thinking, like, I think the last movie I remember having on VHS was, like, Finding Nemo or something. And I feel like that was, like, that must have been early 2000s. I would put
2: that, yeah, like, 2003-ish, yeah. 2002-ish. Fact, checker.
1: Fact checkers. Getting to working.
2: <laughs> Maybe four.
5: 2003, yep. So, yeah. I just so so because I was already fact checking, I decided to type in when did VHS and then the first thing that came up was die.
3: <laughs>
5: uh, and in 2003, the VHS began to die off the market, overcome by DVD sales and online rentals. So we are spot on. Mm-hmm. Look at us f- go.
1: Does it have a, an official uh date of death? Date of death?
5: No, date of date death. it just said 2003. <laughs> I so, bet there's still people know.
1: with. With uh, VCRs. Yeah, they're still getting made. They don't even still make. I don't think they make them I highly
5: doubt it. Mm. There's no way. There's no way that. I feel like those are probably more expensive to make and have zero value
2: than like a a DVD or something.
1: Yeah. But I wonder if there's a foreign market for them. So my Did you come prepared with this? My husband's cousin
2: used to own like a VHS store in Greece. Mm-hmm. Um, he does not own that anymore. Okay. So <laughs> it went out of business. Mm-hmm.
5: Those were the best, though. I loved going to those. I really
1: did too. Mm-hmm. Same.
5: Like even like Blockbuster, like not just like DVDs and like some video games. Like that that was fun to do. It's mm-hmm. always a good time.
2: Like something to do. Like every Friday night, you would go there with yeah. your family and like yeah. Everett said, spend an hour looking at all the different videos and mm-hmm. stuff.
5: Yeah, now I scroll through the forty-five streaming services <laughs> I have, and then and then can't pick anything. So I decide on the one thing I've already seen. Just watch
2: The Office again. It oh is funny God. with
1: so many fewer options. Uh, it was so much easier to pick something. Right.
5: It's it's so. I went on Netflix yesterday, and I was like, I don't even know what. Like, there's so much on here
3: mm-hmm.
5: between like. Their own stuff, their new stuff, like old movies that you're like, oh, God, I forgot about that movie. That's a great movie. And then you're just like, you know, but then there's the new stuff that came out on Apple or whatever. And it's just like it's there's it's so much, so much stuff. Very hard to choose.
2: We have limits. We only have Netflix, Hulu and Disney Plus. That's Mm it. (laughs) Because Otherwise, it would be. Impossible to make a choice. <laughs> I just got,
1: uh, just canceled my Netflix. Yeah, yeah. I was watching HBO a lot more. Yeah, um, and it just was getting too expensive.
2: Yeah. yeah, I was debating whether we should try HBO or not. Mm-hmm. HBO's but got a have to... great,
5: great library of stuff. Yeah, they they do a good job with. Especially with movies, I think they do a pretty good job of, of stocking up on that stuff. I feel like Netflix has always been kind of behind on movies.
1: I have no idea how like how to qualify that, but um I I couldn't tell you like I, I would suspect that Netflix is better, but I couldn't tell you if Netflix or HBO is more has more family quality family content.
5: Oh. Mm. Yeah. And my tough. kids just
2: watch YouTube now, so it's like. Oh yeah, that stuff's depraved. Too, so. <laughs> <laughs> right, they make so much money. We should just become YouTubers. Yeah, like, <laughs> don't a- become an engineer. It's Engineering Week. Don't become an engineer. Just become a YouTuber. <laughs> exactly. Get out of there. Good <laughs> luck. Like some of those little kids are worth like millions of dollars. Yeah, it's insane.
5: It's like <laughs> it's hard to even like imagine what a day to day like what like what they go through. And not only them, like their parents and like uh I just that can't that can't be a good um good way to grow up.
2: Childhood. I don't
5: know. And like what happened to Who you does grow- have a
1: good childhood really? Yeah, but what that when you have money.
5: <laughs> yeah, but happens when you grow out of that, and then you like, like if you're a little kid reviewing like kids' toys, and then all of a sudden you're
2: you're like not cute anymore. You're not a
5: kid <laughs> anymore. Everyone's <Like laughs> gonna be like, "Well, this is just creepy." Yeah. So it's like,
2: fifteen-year-old boy, reviewing yeah, reviewing little kids' toys. <laughs> not exactly. <the> same.
5: <laughs> what happens then?
2: Do your kids watch reviews? Not really. They they watch a lot of like Minecraft videos because oh, yeah. they play Minecraft, and so then yeah. they, like, they
1: all. I also watch a lot of people playing video games, yeah. but they're all they're older than me, yeah. <laughs> which I guess probably the same for your kids. I too. think
2: they are older yeah. than yeah. I don't know. They're pro- I probably should monitor more closely. With <laughs> watching.
5: it's funny yeah. that it's like. It's you like first think about it and you're like, Oh, that's kinda like weird. I was like, why wouldn't you rather just play? But like it's no different than like watching people play sports.
1: Yeah.
0: It's like why yeah. would you rather
5: just play? It's like, oh, because I suck at that sport. That's why I'm not playing.
1: <laughs> well,
2: well, like Eric, my younger son, he'll like watch the Minecraft videos and then like do what they're doing on his mm. Minecraft, like almost mm. like a tutorial.
1: Mm. So it's mm-hmm. cool. For me, it was all about the the personalities, the people that are actually playing the games, not the games themselves, because they're usually very funny and talented comedians mm. that are also just playing the game, and it's just their forum mm. for comedy.
5: That's true.
1: Yeah. That's true.
5: When it's like you kind of like, you know, when you're playing, like, for example, like me and Tom and Joe and one of my friends play often, and, like, the best part about that is, like, you know these like stupid moments where we're all like crying laughing that like something happened even though it's like nothing it's nothing about the game right like it's not like because the game did something like it's like joe jumping off a building and like not realizing (laughs) they didn't have a parachute or like something like just like (laughs) stupid that it's like but it's like when you watch these when you watch these people like they do that and then like you feel like you're in their crew kind of thing you know what i mean like it's kind of it's the same kind of I can understand that kind of like, you know, just kind of friends, buds, buds being buds.
2: Yeah. Well, it's like listening to a podcast, right? Like you feel like you know the people because you learn so much about them if you've been listening to them for years. Exactly. Yeah.
5: yeah. Like all of all all of our followers probably just feel like they're (laughs) right right at the table right now.
2: (laughs) Probably. Only was a Friday. Mm. Have a drink. <laughs> yeah, it is President's Day today, right?
5: I know. I was just looking at a place to go out to dinner tonight, and like everywhere is closed.
1: I'm like, come on.
2: Restaurants are closed because of President's Day. Yeah, yeah.
5: it's so weird yeah. how really?
1: many places are closed for President's it's Day. It's so
5: weird. I didn't even. I like forgot it was even a holiday. Like yeah. I was like, I, I always get confused because there's a few holidays that are like holidays, but like no one takes them off anywhere because they're like, oh, we should you know, we should have people in the schools, we should have people at work, we should have people doing this so they can learn about A, B, and C kind of thing, right? Like, I feel like you hear that about, like, Veterans Day and I thought Presidents Day, but I guess not. Um,
2: Well, Veterans Day, you like, we used to get it off. Yeah. And now the kids don't get it off anymore.
5: Yeah, because I feel like, I When I was in elementary school was like the, the moment they decided they were like, no, like we're going to have people in school so we can like teach them about things. And I think MLK Day was the same thing. We kind of like really? switched over to instead of having the day off and people just being like, I have a day off because I don't know why, but there's no school. You know what I mean? Like mm. that kind of stuff. Mm. I always thought Presence Day was the same way, but I guess – not, I don't mm. know. It's kind of confusing.
2: <laughs> I think they use it as an opportunity for like a school break.
5: Yeah, I my feel kids like it's have more, tomorrow off too. I feel like it's more like synonymous with like big sales and stuff like that than it is with like any. Like, what what do you normally do during President's Day? You just like read about all the presidents? I, I don't know. I've never done that before either. Never, so, whatever. yeah, <laughs> I sit so. at
2: home and think about my favorite president. Yeah. <laughs> a few hours of quiet reflection. Yeah, if I had kids,
1: they would never get a day off. I'd be like be like go to school. It's president's day. Just leave it leave it. come back to, in a few hours. You don't get to choose when the school is open <laughs> Just go stand outside the building and when you would normally get on the bus, just come back.
5: I think it I think it should be like Instead of presidents like presidents of the United States, I think every kid should replace a president of a company (laughs) for the day.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Mm.
5: Just run the company for one day. (laughs) Uh (laughs) See how bad things go.
2: (laughs) You never know. I mean.
5: Sure, they could be better. They could make really
2: good decisions. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Might be on something.
2: It's like, monthly replace Dan with a child and see what happens.
5: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but don't tell anyone else. None of the, none of the clients, no, nothing. Nope. It's just, just one day.
2: <laughs> Let me talk to your boss. Put on a five-year-old boy.
1: <laughs> uh, it is funny that on our engineering week, play hard podcast we had the most i think technical difficulties of any recording so far mm. yeah i did notice halfway through that i forgot to switch the light over to green so when you uh-huh. see that that's why
2: <laughs> we don't have a we don't have an electrical engineer here. oh that's what we're missing yeah.
1: <laughs> we have all of these fields but no electrical engineer okay
2: yeah. need a audio engineer Well, I'm I'm technically that one. Oh, okay. Which explains (laughs) all the problems. Explains
5: Self-educated. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I taught myself all the wrong ways to do it.
2: Oh. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's mostly what engineering is. You just figure it out. Mm -hmm. The process of I'm going to say,
5: if you know know all the wrong ways to do it, then you most likely know also all the right ways to do it.
1: And I'm hoping to get there some some Mm, point. I don't
5: know. (laughs) There's a lot of wrong ways to do things. If you've tried all the wrong ways, then you've most likely found the right way in in failing so many
1: times. All right. Well, that sounds like a good note to go out on. Okay, everybody. uh, If you enjoyed this, if you learned anything, make sure to... Uh, Leave a comment, like us, hit the bell for notifications, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, rate us five stars on there if you can. Uh, And we will see you in the next episode. Bye, everybody. Stay safe.